Welcome to Tactical Permaculture. I've worked on projects ranging from the poorest to richest clients, from inner cities to suburbs to farmlands to remote wilderness, from the eco-war front lines to celebrity backyards. In over 25 years of service to the earth and the community of life, I've learned that in the fight for sustainable survival, growing is half the battle. Go to tacticalpermaculture.com for more info. Welcome to Tactical Permaculture Episode 6. This is Rewilding Fermentation with Wines and Brines, originally published September 10th, 2021. Today I want to share a bit about um, my <laughs> very long, long-awaited and uh, sometimes glorious, sometimes not so glorious uh, path of exploration of post-refrigeration um, food preservation techniques, ancestral techniques, homesteading classics, um, and so pickling, fermenting, and um, and using different uh, alchem- alchemical <laughs> traditions of um, partnerships with microbiology to favor the growth of uh, microorganisms that are beneficial and to to very very strategically inhibit the growth proliferation of um, of harmful forms of life that uh, really um, spoil food and can create toxins and can be very lethal and very uh, very dangerous so it's um, <laughs> there were some white knuckle moments so far in this journey but I had wanted to get into this for years and years ever since I heard about Bill Mollison's book uh, all about fermentation uh, which is on still on my reading list but just knowing the level of diligence that he put into his research knowing that and it's something that I have not done outside of you know being in college and <laughs> going to the food bank and getting a government fruit bags and uh and, and putting in yeast in in uh in bottles and creating this like mad dog type cider that knocked us all out and almost gave us the spins so fast like yeah i have a little bit of of home brewing experience with alcohol that that uh that w- it was a blessing as a person in the various diy movements for that to cross my path but uh also i did a bit of fermentation with um just cabbage just doing some gut health stuff uh years and years ago um but i was not creating a salt brine with that it was just using it so <laughs> there's a it it can be a turnoff just like some people they you know they try to grow some grow a plant and they it dies on them and they they don't feel like they have a green thumb they say they have a brown thumb and they just sort of give up on it well there's definitely a lot of failed experiments in fermentation that can pe- turn people off whether it's the smell or just the uncertainty of whether it's being done right or whether it's being done wrong i've also done a, a bit of kombucha i don't know how long i had a 
uh, mother scoby going for I kicked down people with um, some baby scobies and uh, had that going although I do feel like now the sugar input into that process or the I don't know if you want to if I should be more technical and say the um, well the, the food source the, what you have to feed it can can be somewhat at odds with an overall paleo lifestyle um, but I'm sure there are people who do clever clever kombucha hacks to be ethical and well ever more ethical in how they go about that process but for me I'm not I'm not um, I'm not going to be focusing a lot on that but what I really have been focusing on and I've really been living living literally day to day meal by meal by uh, what I'm calling a brine wine and citrus crystalline citric acid crystalline rather so wine brine and citric acid crystalline so just gonna briefly plant this flag of give myself this badge of surviving uh now it's been i guess yeah over six months of um of 100 reliance every day on these techniques and uh and kind of tweaking them and, and evolving them to uh, to get better results and um yeah, I'm very satisfied so far. So starting with the first category of the brine, I'm not trying to give this as like a, as, as a major uh, educational lecture. It's just more of uh, checking in and making a sort of journal entry on, on my experiences. But whatever references I make to the science of it, always please, of course, do your own research and uh, and get your own read read whatever books or get your own advisement before doing any, before putting anything into your body that I mentioned or any procedure that I talk about. But uh, yeah, I was as I was looking at um, you know being remote and not not wanting to to go out. Of course, the pandemic is the perfect um, impetus for people to a do more home backyard front yard vegetable gardening herb and vegetable gardening and if they have fruit trees or can afford fruit trees and get that aspect dialed in also berry bushes and whatnot and even nuts if that's if that's possible but um but the, yeah the back to the land back to the homestead back to the 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 gardening movement it really surged thanks to uh this bit of a silver lining um all due respect to the people who have died and are still suffering long COVID and the people who will die and continue to suffer long COVID and um, hoping I won't become one of them. But part of the reason why people are surviving and not dying or being more resilient is that they're, they're, they're really building on or evolving their, their health strategy. So, of course, always going to be advocating making every effort possible to clean up the diet and to get get more local and uh you know i have so so much experience so many years so many so many trees and plants planted by my hands and again not lamenting that it's on other it's been on other people's properties um but uh but it's just the fact that i'm starting starting again now with my own property and also under the most extreme conditions that i've ever been under period so it's uh 
it's really pushed me to go into something, you know, uh, synchronistically or serendipitously. This this was the the perfect storm of circumstances that take took me away from the gardening that I had been doing that, that was ridiculously abundant and lush and so forgiving and such a temperate climate with so much moisture and so much already established. I mean, I came from the Garden of Eden and now I'm out in the desert, literally. And, uh, and so everything that I was doing, obviously all of my access to all of those crops is gone and they're just going to be left to whoever may or may not care to to take over or they just bolt go to seed drop some seeds hopefully some of them and you self uh they become volunteers is a word or they they indigenize is another word or they just uh they self-seed um and so hopefully there's a legacy of stuff that kind of goes a little bit wild from when i left there but um but since that was immediately abruptly uh, cut off based on my pivoting of my sur- overall survival strategy, I end up instantaneously overnight going to a scenario where I'm only eating food that I bring in. Canned food, or if it is fresh food, then it has a very limited um limited uh time span before it it gets devoured by all the critters around me or because of lack of refrigeration which i'm not i'm not really interested in in bringing refrigeration to this site i eventually there'll be some form of cooling with what you would call a, a root cellar design or with the earth tubes where you can you can basically harvest and direct the the cool temperatures of several feet under uh, under the surface of the earth it's remain relatively constant you can direct that with clever design piping whatnot to to get that to cool keep uh, food cool and uh and cool yourself and that's going to be that's going to be an ongoing project for the coming months and years but for this very stark contrast of moist almost year-round fog very forgiving and on grid with water um now having no water having no really no nothing no crops established and really no no infrastructure to to even make planting stuff um I don't want to say possible, but 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 viable. So I need to build windbreaks. I need to dig depressions in the ground. I need to do long-term earthwork type projects and rainwater catchment projects that are going to literally take one rainfall and trap the moisture from it, a significant percentage of it, into deep mulch pits that are going to be conducive to um, supporting growing things throughout both the wet and dry season so in in the interim to get to the point where i'm bootstrapping the system and it's actually producing its own oasis of uh of fresh produce then i have to i have to import everything and part of that strategy has been well let's say i have a can of some form of uh sometimes and hopefully organic kind of fruit um 
or vegetable products and uh, there's certain things where one can of it is actually in itself a, a relatively balanced meal because of you know it could be a uh, a soup or or some sort of some sort of food product that that uh, that makes sense um, to just eat the whole thing at once because nothing's going to last more than a couple hours out here before it gets goes bad. So, um, so that's that's one way to do it. And of course, I'm saving all of the cans to be used as as. Uh, seedling planters so I will plant all my seeds in the cans and, and be done with plastic pots and switch 100% over into non-plastic horticulture uh, so so there's stuff that I can I open the can I eat it I put I put water in it I swish it around I drink the rinse water <laughs> not sparing a drop not wasting a drop and uh, and then that that gets stored to eventually be planted in later and um but then there's obviously cans of food cans of food where i'm only gonna want to eat maybe a third of it or whatever they i don't usually follow the number of servings on things i don't know if it's because i've always just felt like a relatively high metabolism feeling like i've always been a growing boy but uh i don't think i've ever followed the uh the the, the serving recommend recommended serving size that could also be because i'm like the eternal bachelor <laughs> and if i were if i were meal planning for other people i would probably follow those and i follow those serving amounts because i would there would be a more diverse you know i would probably go out of my way to make sure there was just a more diverse um number of of hors d'oeuvres and entrees uh to to a meal but uh for me you know like i can have a little bit of this a little bit of that and overall i get a balanced diet just as a emergent property but it's not something i'm i'm really doing like a nutritionist level of of uh of work on um but with so with you when you open a can of something and you only use you know a percentage of it for that meal then that's where the brining that's where these other um techniques come in to preserve you know what would have been traditionally preserving the harvest but in my case i'm i'm extending the shelf life of canned food where i don't have refrigeration and i don't want modern refrigeration so that uh what i have to do and because I'm very, very skeptical, I'm not skeptical, but I'm very, very averse to the idea of doing the kind of pressure canning um, process that just leaves botulism growth almost to chance. You're kind of gambling that, uh, that it's sealed properly and permanently, that the temperature was effectively able to get through all of the material in a uniform manner to cook everything at a high enough temperature that it would totally kill off all of the the uh botulism producing um microbes and which i am not gonna try to butcher whatever i can remember of the actual latin name of the uh of the pathogen but um basically you know rough overview 
you know, you leave food out and we say it spoils. Well, what my understanding now after doing more research and getting into this more is that, uh, you know, you might, if you leave, if something is spoiled and it's gone sour, it's got mold on it, there's, there is, there are nuances to what molds are are beneficial versus lethal versus just off-putting and you know could turn your stomach or give you a sense of food poisoning but i'm not it's it's not my it's not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go anywhere near giving any advice on that but i will say that the real fermentation geeks the people who give workshops on this kind of stuff i i i see the way that they personally determine whether or not one of their ferments is still edible based on the color of the of if there's they see mold on it well some mold you can just scrape off some mold is okay to eat some mold is uh is gonna cause you harm so you have to know that stuff so i said again i'm not gonna give any like uh color coding litmus test type <laughs> advice on that but they give it very 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 boldly and i will i will defer to them so for me it was just you know having this dream having this passion doing a bit of of uh searching for videos online and then finding some long duration videos uploaded of workshops where people are talking about doing this and you know there there are you know go everything from the very very strictly scientific public health minded uh university extension courses where they are using a science and research-based recommendations of how to do the process um, and not fuck yourself up. And uh, so computing those perspectives and then comparing that to the the artisanship of uh, Sandor Katz and his uh, array of works out there, I think he's the most compelling voice in in fermentation has a book called wild fermentation and uh i I thought i thought i was going to be really intimidated by this but then watching his way of presenting it it's so welcoming and so um helps it really helps to to diffuse a lot of the fears around the dangers of doing this so you know, to me, I very much synthesize the, the the very strict scientific approaches with the more more folk, folkloric and more artisan style approaches, where they may have their own style that they've evolved and that they would share and recommend based on their success and their non-clinical, non-laboratory research, but the laboratory of their lives, so the anecdotal research. So, anyhow, I recommend going down that rabbit hole to anybody uh, because you're basically like sprouting sprouting um, is a big part of my my more of, of my past than it is my present since going paleo limits the number of types of sprouts you can do takes the legumes off the menu for the most part um, although there is some gray area with that but uh, but using simple cheap ingredients to to ridiculously exponentially increase the nutri- the nutritive value of food is so interesting to me just as like a, as a wannabe sort of um, personal finance home economics uh, sort of sort of geek the idea that you know you add water to to um, 
seeds and they can become either edible sprouts or sprouts you need to boil for them to be edible or sprouts that become microgreens and you took something that you could buy in bulk for dirt cheap and then you transformed it into something that a sells for a lot more if you wanted to get commercial with it but in terms of the the, the bang for the buck by adding water you're going to increase the nutrient profile and the volume and the size of something exponentially so yes it makes so much sense to get into sprouting and then taking it further fermentation adds so many qualities the the just a few off the top of my head that are the most compelling is that the process obviously well the process typically breaks down and consumes a lot of the elements of a raw food product that would have been somewhat harmful or even very harmful so it can take it's almost i'm not going to say it's a form of cooking as in it as in it kills uh, pathogens with heat but but some of the compounds like oxalic acids uh, was something that um, Sandor Katz had said that is is uh, broken down. I'm not going to say whether it's 100. percent I don't. I'm, I am not going to make a scientific claim of that nature. But as an example of something to explore further in your own due diligent research, it's the idea that. Uh, also, a lot of the foods we take for granted are fermented, like green teas, black teas, soy products, um, a number of them. If you, if you uh, look into it, you'll be surprised that a lot of foods that you, are, are, you take for granted have already gone through some kind of fermentation process. So more than, more than you might expect. And so to take advantage of that, science and to apply it to some people say ferment everything and (laughs) i would say start with the stuff that is known to work well for example a kimchi recipe or pickles which is considered um no pickling is is uh involves vinegar uh in addition to what would be a normal brine so a salt brine so i was just blown away even though I had some experience with this stuff, that, okay, you just add basically in my formulas, which are, not, I mean, my the, the, the result of my research has been that uh, you take um, basically uh, a tablespoon of salt per quart jar of water. That go, You know what? No, I'm not going to... I'll say what I do, and then I'll, I'll, I'll implore you to... Um, to do your own research before you apply any of these techniques that I mentioned, but basically, okay, I'll just say you you take the you take the food the, the produce the food products that you're going to um, ferment in let's say a quart jar, wide mouth preferred, so that you can cl- clean it ongoing and reuse it without having a lot of problems. But basically, having a creating your own salt water solution. And uh, and following whatever formula you like, but it's basically as simple as adding water, adding salt to water, and if you sterilize that water, you will have more control over what is going on in there. Um, I have not 
wanted to spare the energy to go to that level myself and I have felt fine personally both <laughs> like uh, psychologically and physically after living now for quite a while um, with this being a part of my daily life it's uh, it's worked out for me to take relatively not sterile or freshly boiled water but uh, but well filtered water that uh, is just stored um, stored in a bit of shade and uh, and using that mixing that with with the appropriate amount of salt to get the job done and that does matter to not underdo the salt because you're you're most importantly in addition to creating an environment that that favors the growth of the types of organisms that you want to be uh, consuming the consuming parts of your the food you put in there you're, you're basically feeding the biology that you want and the salt is is uh favorable to the to the the life that you want in there and it kills and inhibits the growth of um most of anything else but mostly most importantly the pathogen that causes botulism so it is extremely critical that you that if you're listening to this and you think this is is interesting stuff to explore that you do that research to know that you're doing it in a way that most importantly is going to successfully destroy that pathogen and inhibit its ability to grow so there's a number of steps involved to get that to be done right um but it's not it's not difficult it's not rocket science uh and um and i've so far so good i've it's done great for me what has been an interesting journey is just seeing what different types of flavor profiles come out of different different um, ingredients put into to, to a ferment that's a brine ferment um, I have been my main staple is uh, is that when I brought when I came here I brought a handful or basically an arm, arms load full of, of pumpkins that I had grown that's the previous season and uh you know they were holding out pretty well but i knew eventually they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna start uh, disintegrating basically they're gonna start molding so i jumped on it by the time they started to get started to get just a little bit a little bit soft to the touch i um cut them all up and uh put them into a salt brine and then and then have been living off of that um same brine just keeping it alive um keeping it um intact and and just replenishing it and basically using it as like the uh as the uh, there's a t- there's a, some technical word for it that they use um the the uh well basically using it as a as a, just a reservoir for the for the the microbiology that you want to that you want to have and uh also um so that you don't have to basically you're maintaining a a, a lineage of <laughs> of what you started with and you know interchanging inter- whether or not the flavor is interchangeable with what you're doing one thing to the next i've noticed that the pumpkin the pumpkin brine has a very distinct a very um like it doesn't smell 
like the greatest thing, but it tastes really good. And so that's part of the acquired taste and that's part of the the lifestyle adjustment, you know, to to fermentation is that maybe it's not always it could taste like the best thing ever, but it but it might be, you know, somebody else who was not already already in love with the flavor and who was to smell it they might they may not a they may not know that that's not like an indication that it's gone bad there's there's a whole sort of list of of um, diagnostics that can be done to know if something's gone bad but for example i have had of course batches where little bits of the food Material, little bits of chunks of whatever that they get above the water line, where that saline solution is inhibiting the growth of uh, of any molds and whatnot, and then just whatever little tips of the icebergs that stick out, they can be obviously attacked if there's air and there's, you know, and it's not it's not uh, completely closed off. So that so i've i've had to scrape those molds off and then went about my my way and everything else was fine and uh yeah it's been very to me very triumphant i there was a bit of white knuckling in the beginning oh man is, did i do this right was there enough salt am i gonna die of uns you know odorless tasteless botulism toxin <laughs> it's just gonna i'm gonna have to just sit and wait and see if i start having you know indications of of uh of that form of that form of poisoning um and i remember i remember distinctly the day where i said i survived my first wild fermentation and uh said to, to some friends and uh yeah it meant a lot and i'm still to this day that was months and months ago i'm still to this day what i what i do which was this was the big experiment for me was like can i preserve meat in a in brine and survive and not really end up you know my stomach in a knot or or hospitalized or dead from um from botulism and uh worked out very well this practice of taking a can of sardines and a um for example what i've used uh, so far it just so happened to be the cheapest organic food product i could find and i wanted to be a smart hodler and just literally get the healthiest cheapest organic bargain bin bulk food i could get so so just tomato sauce organic tomato sauce which is itself not not necessarily 100% resistant to botulism but uh but it's acidic in and of itself so i got myself a ph test kit with the litmus paper strips and did the due diligence on making sure the brines were were coming out to a level where it would 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 scientifically guarantee that it's inhospitable to the to to the botulism pathogen so I'm not saying this is like uh, this is just kind of happenstance the way it evolved. But for me, what what matters is the the learning and the um, the evolution of the experience with it to where basically, yeah, it's. I mean, I'm not the, I'm not the greatest chef, but I, I am like the poor man's chef or the one the the hodler chef who's gonna who's gonna wanna. <laughs> I did the ramen thing, you know, in college. I did the ramen thing actually growing up. I did the macaroni and cheese thing growing up. I've done the bargain bin 
obesogenic, carcinogenic, non-organic, non-paleo, loaded with gluten, everything wrong. I did, I did the everything wrong standard American diet, sad diet for at least 15, probably almost 20 years. And, uh, and then I slowly started to, to get healthier and make smarter decisions. And I'd say now I'm making the smartest health conscious dietary decisions of my life. And, and I don't know what could be go beyond this certainly getting to the point where i'm growing all of my own food there are no question marks about any kind of other forms of contamination or gmo and whatnot so you know and i have grown a lot of my own food for 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 many years now um never got yet to the point of being 100 percent, but for now i'm in that uh i'm crossing that bridge and i'm just up leveling everything you know slowly one thing at a time and this fermentation thing it's allowed me to really have a breakthrough with this you know i can i mean the, the, the here's the economics of it if i wanted to if my if my design constraint for myself is that i want to go zero waste i don't want to i don't want to have a bunch of trash going in a landfill behind my my existence my lifestyle like i don't want i want to buy in bulk i want to buy containers that i can reuse so i'm not just constantly throwing stuff out so what didn't what what didn't make it through the mesh of that algorithm was the single serving sardine cans that i had been subsisting off of uh, uh, you know for years and feeling like um they're low on the food chain they are bottom feeders in a good way in the sense that they don't accumulate in one lifetime they don't accumulate a what they call biological magnification up the food chain like if you if you eat you got to be careful what kind of seafood you eat because the higher up the food chain you get the more the more compounding the effect of up the food chain of all so imagine you know if you eat a fish that only eats uh decaying material at the bottom of a body of water then that's and then you eat that one fish or a few of those fish uh, then you're only eating the total, the total toxin accumulation of one of one lifetime of of one or a few fish. But if you eat the the fish that eats that fish, and or the 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 fish that ate both of those fish, you're basically it's like a pyramid. If you imagine the number of lifetimes of fish that go into feeding these higher level of the they call them the trophic levels up the food chain. So you're really super concentrating mercury and all kinds of other nasty um, toxins that humans have unfortunately polluted the the waterways with and so people have a lot of problems with that so there is there is uh, an art and science to to having a healthy seafood integration with 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 your diet and uh, I'm not going to give advice on that that's something to consult with your nutritionist dietitian etc doctor etc but i will say to my research and knowledge and understanding that's the life hack is eating low of low of the seafood food chain if you want to if you, if you want to be able to benefit from the uh the, the low price of, of a lot of it um but also kind of like yeah i would consider it a bit of a life hack because you you can 
you can buy if you if you follow that rule you can buy cheaper cheaper products and um and they can go a long way and uh there's definitely good arguments for why not to eat eat them every day i used i was eating them every day for quite a while and then i kind of told myself like yeah you you feel great but you don't know if even this you know really you should probably saying to myself space it out a little bit so so going back to the design constraint of not wanting to have a bunch of trash i mean i had just mountains of single serving sardine cans in my wake for years and uh and you know i tried messing around with getting crafty with them and you know it just didn't never really panned out so so i just said to myself all right this is what you got to do you got to buy the regular sort of 15 ounce ish size cans like soup can size of of sardines and then of course it didn't take too many it only took a few times to really get get unfortunately learn the hard way that uh more than a a third of a can and you know in a, in a 24-hour period is going to result in severe constipation that i had not experienced since i had a horrible diet and had no clue about anything i mean i really was was uh i was really humbled by the experience of too much fish meat in a 24-hour period and what that does on the other on, on the other side of the equation if you will um so the saving grace was my faith and my research and then my success in opening a 15 ounce i should just say a soup can size container of, of sardines and uh um yeah because the weight wouldn't be wouldn't be correct but the uh a um I'm I'm probably butchering that too. So let's just say a, a normal soup can with only sardines in it. The first, you know, cracking it open, eating a third of it, and then mixing the rest with with a tomato, organic tomato sauce, and then two. I would or I would use two. Um, large ladles full of the of this pumpkin brine that has been now aging for six months or something but it's i've just continued to um to be able to uh it's it was a large amount that i made i mean pumpkin brining pumpkins it, it was a giant 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 jar like probably a gallon plus size jar so i've been able to um to yeah just just dip into that brine and then mix that brine with the uh the the fish and the tomato sauce and then it would come to life and it would start creating its own pressure and i would just leave a little bit of um just like hand like tighten the lid of a of a of a quart jar a canning jar and uh and then after tightening it turn it back just ever so slightly just so that a little bit of the gas could escape and uh and then it would do its thing and it would last and and i i made it a point to say okay i, I am gonna 
I am gonna eat eat I'm gonna finish this back to back so it would be three days of fish one day of unbrined fish and then two days of brined fish and then I would quit or um, pause for another for another few days and then start that cycle again and I've been basically doing that for months and I feel better than ever um, and so for me it's a milestone it's an achievement to say yeah I, I could break one chain of waste and now be fully reusing the cans for for little planters and also buying way cheaper i don't know how much cheaper but at least half or more savings of money to buy those bigger sardine cans versus the single serving can so it's been yeah it's been an amazing journey and uh and it feels so magical just to say okay i'm adding this salt brine which has its own flavor and has its own biology from being a ferment and then that being uh able to apply that to to the the fish that would if otherwise left out you know in this temperatures in this environment would have become very dangerous to consume and you know and so that was a fear of whether it would work or not i know it scientifically works but you know knowing me <laughs> i might mess it up and then i could really be sorry so that first success meant a lot and then i've built on that and and now now i can continue to iterate and change flavors and change um I just did my first uh, departure from the, or my first test of not using the, um, not using the tomato sauce. So, uh, risking a little bit of a drop in the in the acidity aspect, um, but then relying again on the brine to do um, the salting uh, to a level that would uh, would keep it safe, and that's worked so far. Uh, also, there was a time when I. I forgot that I, I somehow forgot that I had one extra serving that I would have consumed on the third day and I don't know more than a week or so went by and lo and behold as I sh- as I should be confident and expect it was just fine and it had, and and the brine was continuing as it would indefinitely um maintain its sort of um its uh it's food safety and you know there's there's people who there's there's cultures i've heard that uh have brines that that are are um that are food food brines that are eaten in a hundred years as a delicacy right so that's an amazing tradition to be standing on the back backs of giants and uh you know there's people who say you, you know you should only have ferments at room temperature for a short period of days and then it should be in the refrigerator and then even then it's only going to have certain well it seems like it seems like if you do your research you can choose your own adventure and um with that said that's kind of a, a broad overview of how the brining experience has been for me and what the fundamental building blocks of that science are and how it's worked out for me i definitely would like to be able to um yeah i'd like to be able to eventually do things like biltong and different kinds of jerky and solar dehydration and whatnot um but uh but the brine to me so far it has extra benefits um 
It has, and, and there's ways that drying things can go wrong as well, where you may not, it may not dry fast enough and you may have pathogen growth in the center of something. You may not have sliced it thin enough. I mean, there's a lot of, I would rather stick to vegetable and fruit drying procedures and just brine meats to preserve them uh, under these conditions. So, so far so good. And I've had fun with it. And the next frontier that I crossed was the uh, the, the wine. I've already been brewing um, my own honey wine, which is called Mead, M-E-A-D. And uh, occasionally adding um, different spices and herbs and other more accentuating fruits and whatnot to the mix. For example, I started making adding blueberry blueberry um, juice to to the honey mead and uh, it doesn't make me some avant-garde culinary genius it's just kind of like just pretty much anything that's like sugary goes into those brines if I end up with some sort of sugary content of something that I would rather feed to yeast than to my uh candida right like then then it goes then then basically the 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 ever the ever cycling um mead honey wine products is just a continual um place to deposit anything sugary and uh and so having that platform going already for already now i guess at least a couple years um or close to that, uh, having that constant alcohol generation, fermentation, alcohol yeast fermentation platform going, it didn't take much time to research that a way to preserve fruits, which I know there are recipes for doing fruit salt brine fermentation products, and uh, I, I have not... Um, I haven't crossed that bridge yet, but it sounds to me like doesn't sound that appealing to me. What sounded more appealing and what I went with so far first was um, this idea that you could preserve. I mean, I remember it, you know, <laughs> growing up partying, they called it jungle juice. You know, if you cut up, uh, cut up a watermelon and then um, and saturate it with uh, hard alcohol, they called that jungle juice. But, uh, you know, that's that was my reference point but that's not what I want to go for I wanted to see if there would be uh, enough of a pathogen neutralizing effect with fruit in 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 a wine product so just submerging fruit from the canned fruit that I was getting submerging that into uh into my mead or rather putting the fruit the the excess uh, fruit from opening the can after the first after the first serving that that I, I that I ate out of the can, put the remaining fruit in a in a in a quart jar, and then cover that with a bit of uh, keeping plenty of room from the top because they will they will <laughs> get a little frothy in there, build up pressure, and possibly. And you know, be leaking over or creating so much pressure that it's somewhat dangerous. So, so leaving leaving ample space, breathing room, as it were, at the top, and then um, and then submerge or submerging the fruit. I got these things that are uh, 
they're basically glass sort of like um, cylinders they, they look like uh, they look like hockey pucks actually or little tiny ashtrays but basically they allow you to have a non-porous um, object that is a weight and it weights the the food in the brine down so that uh, it pre- that basically it prevents it from from popping up like the little iceberg tips and getting moldy, which is nice because that obviously eliminates that fear factor and that extra work factor of of decontaminating the uh, the moldy bits. Um, so that thought that was genius, and I'm in love with these weights. There's other ways to do it that uh, you don't have to buy anything for. For example. Ziploc bags with water in them or plastic sandwich bags to kind of create this interesting water weight that uh, that fills it up but again moving away from more plastic and going into more glass and and metal things uh, these glass weights are are really like the best gift I've ever given to myself (laughs) is is now a more geeky homesteader but uh, but yeah so those the combination of a of a quart jar and um, and these these glass weights uh, have really done a lot of good for me. And so, yeah, submerging with the wine, it's kept the um, it's kept the fruit from being hospitable to pathogenic life forms growing in it that would spoil it and make it so I couldn't eat it. So the preservation factor is working. However, I will say the um, you know the the yeast that's alive is going to it's going to eat sugars in the fruit and change its flavor so there is a loss of um the the expected flavor experience of the fruit and of course i mean it's i don't think that alcohol fermentation is adding the nutritive value at all that you're getting from the salt brine um but I'd rather, like, I, I believe in the idea of, like, uh, breakfasts having a Swedish, sweet-ish type of component. Maybe that's, I'm old-fashioned or whatever, but I, I like, um, you know, I mean, certainly I'm not eating stacks of pancakes with uh, with all kinds of sh- uh, sh- sugary syrup or anything. Um, if that's your thing, more power to you. You can always optimize that. But uh, I'm not really trying to give advice, but I'll say for myself, yeah, I was, a, you know, I have a, a breakfast sweet tooth, as it were. And there's certain breakfast meals that I can do that are all savory, and that's fine. But, um, but you know, it can be all American or, or otherwise. But, uh, but I like the idea of, you know, a classic sort of cereal with fruit kind of experience. And... Um, and so for me, it's like almonds and pumpkin seeds are are sort of the sort of the that give the texture and the crunchiness, but also the paleoness to not be eating um, grass seed flakes, which is essentially you know, the uh, non-paleo um, staple of, of a lot of people's breakfast meal, you know, um, breads and cereals and whatnot, and even potato products and whatnot. So, you know, moving away from that, it really has been a blessing for me just to go, well, why not use nut flowers and whole nuts and seeds to get that texture of 
because once you're chewing up seeds and nuts, basically you have the texture of a bite of bread that you've chewed up. It starts out a little bit different, but it ends up very quickly becoming this sort of same thing. Basically, you're back to like a, a dough that's hydrated by your saliva. And um, and so I've done very well with with a breakfast of fruits with some with now some some uh, trade-offs with the preservation method eventually i will be growing my own fruits and berries and whatnot again (laughs) for the millionth time as a gardener but now on my own property once i get to that point i won't have to buy anything anymore but i will be preserving my own produce my own excess and so you know i guess there's just sort of a trade-off let's say i was already a well-established homesteader and you would probably think that, uh, well, eating things fresh off the vine or off the branch or off, you know, picked from from the plant or whatever, um, that's always going to be a better experience than than eating it eating out of jars in the winter. What eating something that went through whatever process, whether it was cooking at extremely high temperatures that changes the texture a lot or freezing if that's an option or whatever it is you're going to change the texture you're going to change the flavor the nutrient values and um and so there's always that trade-off but for me this is like living on a razor's edge of survival trying to not die from just the temperatures and dehydration alone and certainly on top of that not wanting to get any kind of food poisoning life-threatening or otherwise or just have a really nauseous experience. Um, and so far it's, it's only been so far it's, it's been, it's been successful and it's, but, but it's been a sacrifice to some degree. Um, the flavor of the wine, the wine preserved fruits, um, it, it takes, it, it, it takes a hit. Um, but it still works. And even if I add something like stevia drops to it, it can kind of bring back some of the sugars that were, that were eaten. Um, and the final thing, which I am not promoting really, the other two winding and brining, I'm going to promote heavily. Uh, but this other option that I have dabbled in while it has been effective, uh, I don't see it as, um, a sustainable, really DIY option it's it's a pretty complex process that they are able to render this it's very very natural compared to other preservatives and even the process is very natural uh, my understanding of how it gets rendered from using different fungi and whatnot is kind of fascinating but citric acid crystals um, I guess if I didn't have my 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 wine set up I would be very, very dependent on what I'm doing with these, this, uh, this citric acid crystal material, which basically most what is what what it's most important for is that you're able to have a solution to preserve food in that is acidic to a point that it inhibits the growth of the botulism pathogen. So, so it basically it's it's like obviously way less of a value add again than the brining but there's certain things like for example it just kind of it just kind of delineates for me or it, uh the 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 bifurcation is or the categorization is like if it's sweet i'm going to use 
a wine or a citric acid preservation method in a jar with some water. If it's savory, I'm going to go with the salt brine and not, I haven't had a, a reason to, to, um, cross those streams yet. Although I think I will, I, th- I've heard of what's called, uh, chutneys that are, that are, that can be fermented with salt, um, uh, fruit products that are fermented with salt. If I have that, if I have that right from memory, um, But yeah, I guess that's the next, that'll be one of the next next experiments. And for now, again, to be clear, like the citric acid thing, there's health risks with that, with overdoing that or using the wrong sort of um, formulas and a recipe and whatnot. There, there are ways that it can be considered beneficial to health. Uh, and there are ways that if done wrong, it can be very very damaging so and it's they say you know on the label don't wear gloves wear goggles like it's considered very caustic and and it is it has to be handled very carefully so i really like to move away from anything that's dangerous and i'm only using it now really for as an as a emergency prep just like if you had to purify water with bleach like i don't want to be doing that every day i don't even want bleach around me i don't want to be worried that that it's going to break and some critters are going to die from it. Like there's just, there's a way to do this where there are no hyper concentrated potent toxic chemicals that, that I'm responsible for, for securing or, or, um, or, or just handling responsibly and safely. So I'm putting it in there because it's just part of the, the process of learning. And I think it's probably, um, you know, for for the for, it, for example, part of the strategy is that I want to. I'd like to have also uh, quite a number, quite a large number of the large coffee can size um, cans for planters. You know that that could be really. I mean, right now, just the soup cans. That's only going to be good for certain herbs to grow to maturity. Uh, and really a lot of other plants I'm going to want to be growing, that's just going to be almost like a nursery tray for them, the, the little soup can. But graduating them up, they would call it potting them up in, in horticultural parlance, um, potting up the soup can sizes to a coffee can size. There are a lot of plants, a lot of garden produce plants that... Uh, will will be happy living their whole life cycle whether it's annual or perennial in something the size of a coffee can with the right soil and the right the right love and 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 whatnot so um and also this is all moving towards my standard operating um method of of you could call it chinampas or aquaculture but basically all of these cans are going to eventually find their way into being partially submerged in nutrient-rich water filled with aquaculture plants and fish that are providing the nutrients from what's called sub-irrigation, the water and the nutrients coming up from the bottom, rather than kind of what's very wasteful is overhand watering where you're not getting close to the roots. A lot of it's evaporating, a lot of it's gotten, getting blown off in overspray. So... And it's also often training roots, uh, for example, of trees to grow shallow to the surface rather than deep and seeking lower, 
lower uh, levels of water, which um, which compels them to grow deeper, stronger roots. So, for example, if I were planting a tree and I wanted to encourage deeper, stronger root growth, you can put a tube next to the tree that's planted so that when you water it your you that tube is you know a couple feet down or whatever the appropriate size depth of the planting of the tree is the root ball the bottom of it and so you are actually directly almost like a syringe like giving an iv of water at the root level deeper beneath the surface versus watering with the hose or or other types of surface irrigation even if it's water wise like drip irrigation on the surface it still has to percolate down through a bunch of a bunch of uh uh volume of soil which um while it's good to obviously feed moisture to the biology of that soil by the time it gets to to the roots you've lost a lot of it so so that always always leaning towards the principle of sub irrigation. That's just a little sidebar, uh, but uh, but but for now, like the idea is, whatever I am doing out here, I want I want everything to roll. I want all of the sort of contingency, emergency, um, temporary strategies to to roll into to to actually very in a very elegant way be rolled and wrapped into the next phase of strategies so yeah living off of canned food was not my not my choice it has been the byproduct of surviving a pandemic and in in a manner that i feel has integrity to my my degree of respect for for the advice of epidemiologists like eric feigelding and uh, I'm not saying that he said go out and live live out in, in the desert and eat canned food, but but uh, do what you got to do based on your interpretation of the science to to create appropriate um, you know basically appropriate strategy. So for me, the appropriate strategy was I'm going to eventually live off the land, 100% grow my own food to get from that from A to B or to get to that that point. There's going to be some compromises in between. For me, I want to stop having trash from single-use containers. Um, of course, anything that I get that's fully organic, without you know, fully fresh produce without any containers, I just compost the the orange peels and the apple cores and whatnot. Um, but if I have to compromise and have canned food for whatever period of time. Um, and also, just as the, the emergency prep, it's like, yeah, you could be, you could say, I'm going to only go to the farmer's market. Well, what happens when they shut that down or when there's a worse pandemic and uh, nobody is showing up to engage in commerce and everybody is just trying to take care of their own? I don't want to, that's part of being a prepper is that you have reserves, you know, and this, this the mantra is eat what you store, store what you eat. And um, I'm going to, eat thing yeah i'm gonna do that and i'm also gonna i'm also gonna <laughs> add to that mantra and say reuse the containers of whatever your your food preps are in in a way that's going to be uh elegant and permanent with your overall design so that's uh that's that's what i'm working on rolling one thing into the next and uh you know eventually i will not be whining and brining um the 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 
leftovers of canned food products, I will be whining and brining the uh, the harvest of whatever I can't eat when it's fresh <laughs> while it's available on on the on the branch or the vine, etc. And uh, now that I have crossed these um, or had these breakthroughs in understanding, it's actually really. It's really beautiful, and it's part of my my altar, part of my meditation. I look at these jars, I look at the colors. I, I I feel like I've been I had my garden ripped out from under my feet, you know. Hopefully for the last time, but that my garden became a garden of yeast, a garden of uh, of the bacteria, the wild fermentation bacteria uh, that grow. Uh, in the salt brine, I'm not going to call it lacto fermentation or lact. There's lactobacillus, but there's different permutations of w- whether you attribute that to um, to lacto ferments of uh, of dairy products and whatnot. So I'm not enough of an expert. I'm not geeky enough to to call out the organisms by name, but uh, but it's all there in Sandor Katz's work, and uh, I think he he has a lecture. I believe it is in a Harvard a Harvard uh, lecture series that, that that's on YouTube, and uh, that just blew my mind. I mean, this guy looks like he's in late forties to to mid fifties or so, and he's bouncing off the walls. Uh, I'm in love with this guy. <laughs> I want to have the vitality that he has, and I want to age with grace and and when i start going gray i want to i want to have a the energy of a 20 year old uh with the distinguished gentleman look of of sandor katz man he blows my mind and he really stokes me out on this stuff and uh it's like such a hobby such a fun hobby as the pandemic hopefully well regardless of what the pandemic does i will be here worshiping my altar of uh of ferments of my wines and brines and i will be continuing to like a hermetic alchemist just do different experiments and and i just can't uh i can't i can't explain the magic behind the ear-to-ear grin that seems to come on like clockwork every time i sip my mead and then adding to that autonomic ear-to-ear smile response i had things like the blueberry twist you know and and stuff like that so (laughs) uh, i may sound like a fruit to you that may sound pretty fruity but uh but but that would be that would be very appropriate given the context uh and subject matter for me to be 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 kind of a fruit in this regard um but yeah there's uh there's really no limit sky is the limit and knowing that um you know basic formulas basic uh measurements and 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 you're you're really uh for me it's really been the uh the heart and soul of my survival strategy and and my limiting excursions out into the public strategy you know this this not only saves me money but it saves me extraneous contact with the outside world which for many reasons i'm I'm trying to avoid and uh and it gives me more confidence that moving into even more uncertain times you know i can scale this out and i can continue to 
value add to what we what we used to call dead food when I was a a raw food geek and it was a little bit authoritarian. I was not on the I, I certainly was surrounded by authoritarian vegans and then eventually authoritarian raw food people who would be very scathing towards people who and just be very insulting and it was really sad because you know you're basically giving medical and health advice and uh, and it could be wrong and you could be hurting people by telling them to do things that aren't aren't safe and 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 <laughs> and uh and aren't natural if i dare say you know we anybody has a clue what natural is but when i when i think about some of the useful aspects of being a raw foodist for a time which again it's just an extreme thing that doesn't have the simplest way for me to say whether i think someone's natural or not did our ancestors do it before before fad diets on the internet and if the answer is no then i'm not going to do a fad diet on the internet you know paleo to me is not a fad diet on the internet it is an acknowledgement of of what food was available before the neolithic revolution and designing to that and, and and testing the results personally doing elimination diets and finding out what's giving you the rashes and the hives and the fatigue and the aches and the pains and the stomach cramps and the, all of those things like that just makes sense and you go back to the paleo and uh so yeah for me this is very is very a beautiful hobby to tap into these ancient more ancient roots and to process foods in a way that adds value and that takes otherwise quote unquote dead food that was the favorite sort of demeaning um one of the demeaning sort of memes of the raw food movement say like oh i'm not going to eat that that's dead food you cooked it it's dead well maybe you cooked it to kill the stuff that could have killed you in it and then after that you you made it into a, a ferment and then it then it came back to life so it's resurrected resurrected uh miraculously brought back to life food products uh that that happened with the brining and it's as simple as adding some salt water to you know a to almost any type of food you can imagine and then experimenting and discovering what flavors you might like out of that process and uh yeah i can't i i'm i'm just i'm just extremely satisfied in my life journey that something that i had been putting off cuz i was spoiled by gardens where i was just too busy in la county just being spoiled by there never being really that harsh of temperatures no killing frost you know i could keep stuff alive as annuals for years longer than than you would imagine possible and uh and i wasn't forced to do fermentation and so it never i just never got around to it but being drastically forced into doing it now it's under my belt now i have that merit badge and i'm not about to open my own cafe or my own fermentation bar around <laughs> or anything like that but i am definitely um proud of uh of of what i've achieved and i'm thankful eternally to the uh to the the interwebs and the folks on it who have produced the content for me to learn from and to apply and uh and 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 the people who keep the homesteading wares alive and accessible to be able to still get these jars and know that this is like um 
it's a really quaint and rustic, beautiful thing. And I do really, it does really warm my heart that, uh, that, that the appropriate technology that I would want myself to, to, to own and to use and that I would want everyone else to be more ecologically responsible by, by homesteading, that the pandemic has put that positive pressure uh, on people to, to, um, to buy this homesteading gear off and just the shelves just kept bare from people continually buying them up and there being limits on how many you can buy like that to me is so much more of a beautiful story than just seeing people fight over hoarding toilet paper and gas and whatnot like that to me it seems apocalyptic but what seems very trans-apocalyptic is is when prices of of uh, quart jars go up because there's such a demand for it like that really excites me and, and I'm proud to be and happy to be part of that that consumer market and uh, maybe one day I'll blow my own glass but for now I'm just happy to know that there's a feng shui value add of looking at my glass jars that are my my only gardens until until the weather breaks and cools down a bit and that I have been able to sustain a gardener lifestyle and add to the uh the evolution and the and the, the multi-dimensionality of of being um a gardener of life that i'm a, a gardener of, of microbiology and and it just continues to put more and bigger smiles on my face and i really do feel way 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 better than i thought ever possible if I was to say, yeah, you're going to be cut off from your garden, no more fresh produce, everything out of cans and uh, buckets of uh, seeds, nuts, and canned food basically is my entire profile of, of my diet. And that by this alchemy of like microorganism gardening, <laughs> wines and brines, I'm going to be in some ways um, happier and healthier than ever. Uh, and you know there's things I miss obviously <laughs> but uh, they can be built back in over time so with all of that said I hope that you um, don't do anything I said because I probably butchered some of the science and some of the methods but go straight to uh, go straight to YouTube and start watching Sandor Cat's videos and get into the groove of um, of wines and brines and 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 have fun with it cheers